What's up, bikers? Welcome to episode 154 of the Biker Bar Podcast live stream. Here we are with Push Industries today. This is going to be exciting. Um, I'm super stoked to talk to Darren, the founder of Push Industries. Before we get started, though, thank you guys that are on Patreon. Honestly, 100% of the support for the show comes from Patreon. I know that you guys listen to me talk about like being supported by Patreon every week on this show, but it, it's truly like where the support comes from. And I would imagine before I did this kind of stuff and I would listen to somebody do this on all their videos, it was annoying as hell. And I'm sorry if it is, but it really is. It's, it's honestly the way that, that, um, that the support comes in. The other day, I had somebody sign up for, for Patreon. Actually, the first person that's been signed that signed up for Patreon since like February. So it's not like I'm making these announcements every week and thanking everybody because like just dump truck loads of money are coming in. It, it, it is a slow grind, but really it, it, uh, it helps out the show. It helps me buy the products and the videos that I do, uh, all, all of the above. So it may, it may seem a little irritating at times to listen to it as a listener, but it really means a lot. So swing by Patreon as little as a buck or five bucks a month, really put some beer in the fridge, keep the machine running. That would be awesome. I really appreciate all of you over there. And uh, thank you to, to the new member of the Patreon team. Means a lot. Anyways, if you want to do something for free, swing by Apple Podcasts, write me a five-star review on the podcast. If you love this podcast and you want more people to hear about this podcast and um, me to be happy, that would be great. The last time that one was written was in, in, in May. So come on. Let's get somebody in June. It's almost over. Before next week, one of you that are listening right now can be the one that goes out and writes me a new five-star review. That'd be rad. And then this will be the most popular biker podcast, mountain biker podcast, biker in general podcast on, on the interwebs. That'd be rad. I'd really enjoy that. You want something for free? Watch this on YouTube. Hit subscribe, the thumbs up, all those things. Tell your friends about it. Or you can swing by uh, Facebook, Instagram. Give me a little follower over there. And uh, you know the deal. You guys know how the social stuff works, right? So we'll go ahead and pull Darren back on. How's it going, Darren? It's going really well. Right I on, feel, I feel slightly obligated to uh, donate to Patreon, though, real quick. Let me sign up. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I'm okay with that. <laughs> You know, I when I was in Sea Otter, I, I was talking to uh, one uh, one of the people there, and yeah. they were saying that another podcast that had had um, pitched them on being the show was charging five thousand dollars an episode yeah. for you to be on. Yeah, I, was like, I get those. I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing I get this a lot. Yeah, <laughs> we often get a lot of. Uh, a lot of requests and it starts off with you know wanting to do some kind of content this that and the other thing and it's it really is a big sales pitch um, yeah which you know there's a there's a place for those um yeah for sure but uh i like this style more organic um yeah. conversational um yeah i'm i'm super excited for the opportunity so it's great to also meet you at sea otter and yeah and uh yeah just have this opportunity to come on the show and geek out on bike stuff yeah, man, it's it's always a good time. That's for sure. So um, it, it's easy, you know, it's just sit here and, and, and BS. It's just a conversation. So it's not an interview. And that's the thing where it's like, I don't know, man. I, th the whole reason I started this podcast is because I started listening to other mountain bike podcasts and they just annoyed me. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, that's it, man. This is not the way I want to hear it happen. So yeah. Well, I appreciate you for being on, man. So yeah. um push industries. You you guys have been when did you guys start? Uh oddly enough, or not oddly, crazy enough, we're gonna celebrate 20 years of business this October. So we started back in 2003, or I say I say we. I started yeah. back in 2003 um, in October. And uh, yeah, we've just been kind of talking about that recently because 20 years is a really, it's a really big deal, obviously. Um, yeah, that's a milestone. Yeah. So we're going to figure out what to do. Uh, we're going to do something cool for our 20 year anniversary. I don't know what that is just yet. We've got all kinds of uh, crazy ideas being um, kind of bounced around. But yeah, so almost 20 years in business started in October of 2003 in Irvine, California. So, so in, in 2002, what, what were you doing? Um, in 2002, I was actually fumbling a little bit. Uh -huh. Were you like uh, an engineer or like? No, so I've like always... Yeah, I, I don't have, I don't like to say I'm an engineer. Well, no, I don't say I'm an engineer because I'm, <laughs> I'm not. Um, that's where I thought my, my path was going to be uh, going to university for mechanical engineering. Uh, that didn't happen. Um, I've had a lot of research and development roles, worked in suspension. And in 2002 was, I was doing contract work. So contract design work. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I was, I basically had a really good day job, uh, went into an entrepreneurial uh, position with some partners that didn't go so well, um, kind of got out of that and was trying to figure out what the next chapter was and uh, doing some contract work. My wife was very supportive of, of me doing my own thing still. And yeah. we started, I just thought, I felt like there was a hole. I'm a big motorcycle guy, um, uh -huh. cars, motorcycles, bikes. That's my thing. And um, I was doing a lot of contract work in motorcycles and loved mountain bikes and just saw a hole for information. I mean, there's just there was not enough uh, resource for mountain bike suspension back in the early 2000s. There's lots of innovation happening, not a lot of resource. And I've, I've told this story before where um, if me as someone who so I'd worked in suspension for years and for someone like me, if I couldn't get the answers, then surely regular consumers couldn't. And so that was the the birth of push to be a resource for mountain bike suspension. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I don't know like specifically where you guys started, but from my experience, I just remember hearing the name come up and it'd be like, Oh, you could buy this shock, but if you want it to get better, you can send it to these guys at push and yeah. they'll like reprogram it for you. <laughs> you know? It was like, what? Yeah. So they sell their own stuff. And it was like, no, 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 you buy this stuff and then you give it to them and then they change it. And it's yeah. like, really? So, so, I mean, like, what was that your initial, like, like come out of the gate was like, Hey, let's just like redo other people's stuff. And yeah, that, that was the whole thing. So I actually, it kind of started. So Paul Thede, um, who's the founder owner of uh, Racetech Suspension. So big um, in the motorcycle world, Racetech's a really big name and have been in the game for a long time. And I was actually um, out to dinner with him one night and I was trying to pitch him 
on opening a mountain bike division of Racetech. So take your motorcycle model, which was service, but mostly tuning, you know, hop ups and various tuning for motorcycle riders. And I said, man, the mountain bike industry is ripe for this. Uh, you have all the expertise, you know, you should do this. And he was across the table saying, well, no, you're the mountain bike guy and you understand mountain bikes and suspension. You're the one who needs to do it. And so that kind of got me thinking. And so initially the whole model of push was literally a mountain bike version of race tech. So if you had um, at the time, it was just Fox suspension. I, I was a one man show, right? I, mm -hmm. I started, it was just me. And so the idea was I would take in, uh, Fox vanilla and Fox vanilla RC coil shocks, and I could service them or I could tune them. I designed and, and, uh, had, um, manufactured aftermarket pistons and valves. And so, uh, yeah, push became a verb, right? So if you had a Fox coilover, you'd get it pushed. That was yeah, the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I remember like that. yeah. Yeah. And so the, the first thing I did was I developed a performance tuning kit for the vanilla and the vanilla RC. That's the only thing I worked on. And uh, so if you had uh, one of those shocks, you could send it in and I could adjust it, uh, the damping for, you know, rider weight, riding style, respring it, bushings, you know, full service, but mostly tuning. And um, yeah, just based on the race tech model. And so that's where I started was with just those two shocks. And then, um, it started to how grow. Do you, how do you do that? Like you just like initially it was a matter of, Hey, I'm gonna buy this thing, take it apart and then try to figure out what you could change or like, like, no. is it like, is it normal engineering stuff where you're like, Oh yeah, this is, this is, you know, running the mill things. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for me, I had worked uh, in research and development. Uh, so my very first real job was at Marzocchi. So I worked mm -hmm. at Marzocchi suspension uh, in the early days, the, the, um, the development of the original bomber. So I was around Marzocchi before the bomber was a, a public item. So when we were mm -hmm. prototyping the bomber is when I worked at Marzocchi, uh, obviously that product launched with huge success. So, um, I was a technician at Marzocchi. I left Marzocchi and went to work for Ibach Springs. Um, so a lot of familiar people are familiar with Ibach from the motorsports world, but also at the time, Ibach was manufacturing the Mountain Speed. Uh, so this is pre-MRP. So Mountain Speed um, Speed Springs. And they were making uh, um, some mountain bike stuff for Fox and for RockShox. And so I worked there and then migrated to the damper division at Ibach, where I got to work alongside a gentleman named John Wills, who was one of the world's you know, top engineers for damper performance for automobiles race cars. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I got my foundation on damper tuning and pistons and all of the different, you know, high performance shocks. And I was uh, working in dyno testing at Ibach and, and technician work. So I was around dampers and high performance motorcycle and car dampers and, but still had a passion for mountain bikes. So it's, I was always looking at the angle of, you know, Oh, this is how they control brake dive in a racing car from 150 miles an hour on a straightaway. Um, how can I relate that to a mountain bike? And right. yeah, so I'd been, I'd been around that stuff. And then, um, I had a short stint, uh, anyway, I kind of learned damper design. So I was doing, I started doing CAD work. Um, it just kind of evolved. So I, I, I really learned on the job, right? So mm -hmm. I didn't go, I, I'm not a mechanical engineer, but in the early days I was exposed to a lot of really high tech shock absorber technology 
and was mm -hmm. trained on how to use it, how to work on it, how to build it, how to test it. And when you're doing that day in and day out, you see what valving changes do. You see what piston designs do. And um, yeah, it was a great. Did you look at it like, like uh, Fox is the most, you know, popular shock at the time. So you're like, I'm just going to try to focus on them because you said you would be like, would you getting be getting parts machined that that would fit in that or something like that? So, and for me, it was so push has always been a performance. You know, my my whole concept was uh, was elite or pro level performance for the consumer, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, even back then, Fox, Rock Shocks, Marzocchi, everybody has professional race programs and development and things that consumers can't buy. And my, my point was I was going to develop stuff that was extremely high performance that a consumer could, a regular mountain biker could buy. Mm -hmm. I chose Fox initially because honestly they made the best stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in order to have the best performance, you have to start with the, the foundation has to be good. And yeah, I think yeah. that's, that's part yeah, of the, you're, you're not going to be like, Hey, let's buy a Volkswagen bug and like make this thing a street ride, you know? It's yeah. Like yeah. And I, I know that was part of the difficulty. And, you know, I, I had, I probably still, I, I would say I still have a good relationship with Fox, but in the early days I had a really good relationship with Fox and there was, there was definitely some frustration because of that verb, right? People started saying, Oh yeah, if you got a Fox, like it, it's good, but send it and get it pushed. And then it's amazing. And, mm -hmm. um, that was, that was not what I was doing, you know? And I, I would talk to the Fox people and say, you know, listen, I'm not purposely saying your stuff is bad. And in order to make it good, you have to go through me. I'm, yeah. I'm saying, no, your stuff is amazing. That's why I'm starting with it. You know, like you guys make great product. That's why I'm not working on any other brands right. um, because this is the best, in my opinion, this is the best starting point for me to be right. able to, I'm tuning because the reality is, is that, you know, someone who is 160 pound, uh, weekend warrior is very different than they have a different expectation than someone who say 210 pounds and is riding four days a week and wants to be an amateur enduro racer or whatever. So the expectations yeah. for the suspension is different. And that was what push was push would say, or I would say to, to you, you know, what are you, what is your expectation? What are you looking to get out of this? And so um, the, the major companies couldn't do that, right? They were building product and selling product OEM mainly and doing some aftermarket work. Yeah. Um, and I was just, I was just meeting the expectation of the rider. So that's, that's how I started. Yeah. I think it's really a weird spot for bike companies. And maybe this is some, something that changes in the future is like, how do you actually get a, a suspension platform that's really, dialed for the person who buys the bike but you don't know who they are you know what i mean it's like yeah. it, it it like like to do some kind of scale production you can't do that it's impossible right or it seems that way right now but, yeah it, it's it is challenging and you know our oem business works differently than everyone else's um, because mm -hmm. we do face that challenge you know one of the first companies we really started doing some volume with was evil you know it's pretty We've always have a have had a strong relationship with Evil, uh, Revel bikes, you know, Ra, uh, Gorilla Gravity. Um, it, with our OEM business, what we the way we started was we would build like we started with the Evil Reckoning, 
and we would have three or four different damper specifications for the bike and 12 spring rates to cover all the rider weights. And Evil would actually stock the dampers and springs. And when a customer would order it, they would marry those up. And so that's how our kind of OE program evolved. And so it worked the same way with Revel, works the same way with Gorilla Gravity, mm-hmm. works the same way with insert name here, you know, um, yeah, yeah. working with Reeb now, you know, and different different bike manufacturers. But the bike manufacturer has to be a little bit creative too. You know, they have to have a, a little bit of a more creative um, outlook on on how do you put a push shock on a bike. Right. So, and that's going to evolve too, because with the advent of our front fork, um, our OEM business will become more mainstream. And so there will be, you know, different things to navigate. Yeah. I mean, I was going to wait till later to talk about the fork, but since we're here, let's do it. <laughs> so what's going on? You guys just released that. I think you had that at uh, Sea Otter, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, <laughs> we brought it and we didn't talk about it. It was... Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I know I took some pictures of it. And I was like, look at this thing. This is interesting. So yeah. um, is it like full on, you know, on the website ready to buy now or is it still so it's nope. still kind of behind the curtain a little? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's coming. Um, we're still not disclosing any information about it. So what you kind of saw at Sea Otter is is what we've told the world, uh, which is oh, nothing. Man, I better put my pictures up on Instagram now then. Huh? Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's the next evolution for us and um, amazing product. It's something, you know, we've had in uh, development nearly four years. Um, it's, it's a typical push product, you know, performance driven, um, yeah. no timelines. We're just not until it's right. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's been in production now for, oh man, about, 20 weeks. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we'll see. It's, it's coming. Yeah. yeah. Is it like, uh, you're still working through the design that's what's holding it up or are you guys having like supply issues from all the COVID mess or, um, some of it, uh, no, the design's done. So yeah, yeah. That was right. one of the things that there was some um, confusion about what people were looking at at Sea Otter and what they were looking at at Sea Otter was a finished, you know, the finished design uh, product. Um, we've been riding these things for quite some time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've we've had the finished version in the field for quite a while. It really comes down to the complexity of manufacturing. Um, mm-hmm. So we've been through all the prototyping phase. What we brought to Sea Otter is what we call pre-production, which is... Mm-hmm when um it's made with production tooling production fixtures um all of that stuff because the fork you know uh, as a lot of people know we actually manufacture the products right here in our building and so mm-hmm. yeah we've gone through that pre-production phase which is just kind of test fitting all the final pieces and right now we're actually in final production so we're actually manufacturing the the product that is going to go in a box to a customer um and what that looks like we don't know just yet, like how many yeah. we're going to be able to deliver. So yeah, yeah, it's going to be yeah. a hard, it'll be initially a hard product to get your hands on. There's a, uh, it's, there's a pretty big waiting list at this point. So is there like a waiting list that people can get on the website or something like that? Or it's like, it's, Not, the, it's the friends and family waiting list. Right yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of a, the in the know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have, uh, you know, we've kind of looked at it and we have a lot of really 
uh, established 11.6 shock customers. Mm -hmm. And when we were looking at delivering the first forks, because they're going to be so limited, um, we just really wanted to focus on those customers first, because we yeah. hate to have someone who's been supportive of us over the years with shocks have one of their friends get a fork and them not be able to, you know? And so um, initially the forks are being offered to some of our, for some of our good customers. And um, so there you go. If you want a fork, yeah. buy, you better start buying a shock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. Get on it. <laughs> There's the sales pitch. You want a fork? Right. Well, you, you better own an 11.6. Right. <laughs> so um, back to the history. So mm -hmm. you start out, you're tuning, tuning these, these uh, Fox shocks and stuff like that. And yep. at what point, I mean, did you, did you go to other shocks first or, or did you start developing your own product? No. So um, was working on the Fox coil shocks and then uh, shortly thereafter, Fox came out with their first forks, <clears throat> their 32 millimeter vanilla and float forks. Mm -hmm. And so we started working on the vanilla fork. Uh, so it kind of went from vanilla shock to vanilla fork. And then that's funny, man. If you would have asked me on a game show, if Fox had forks before they had shocks, I would have probably said forks first. I think I would have lost my money. Yeah, no, they had <laughs> shock. They, they were in the shock game because they started, um, they started at uh, making shocks for Cannondale back yeah. in the 90s. Yeah. So they, yeah, I mean, they, saying it like out loud, yeah. like I remember seeing the product like that, but in my head, they've always had the fork. Like I yeah. would have thought, but no, that was like rock shocks or something like that. They were yeah. one of the first ones, I guess. Not, yeah. They, they weren't around. Yeah. Fox was, Fox was, um, I believe they were the last one to market with a fork. I think Manitou, yeah. rock shocks. Um, I think those guys all had forks before, and I'm, I may be wrong, man. It's it's been yeah. a lot of years. Yeah, but yeah, no, that, it's definitely been a minute. <laughs> yeah, I do know that they were late to the game on forks, and when they came with their float and vanilla fork, it was it was also really awesome. It was an amazing amazing product, and so we kind of jumped on that. We're servicing and tuning for, uh, forks, the vanilla fork, which then led into the float shock and the float fork. Um, so then, at, by that point, I had hired an employee. Um, so I had my first employee. That's a big leap for the company yeah. team, man. When you're like, okay, it's all right if I if I don't eat, but man, if I'm like messing up somebody else's dinner. Yeah, he. Um, yeah, so I, that so that's the, the the migration, and so we spent so the first four years, I want to say, of the company was just servicing and tuning float and vanilla forks and shocks, and that's all we did, and. Um, yeah, we were cranking them out. It was, uh, it was Is that like, what was your like marketing kind of like, because was it just word of mouth or? Yeah. So I, I, um, prior to starting push, so I don't know if you're familiar with Richard Cunningham. Um, so Richard Cunningham is, uh, you know, I don't, I believe he's in the MTB hall of fame. If he's not, he should be, but Richard Cunningham was kind of a childhood idol of mine. So I grew up in a very small uh, town in Northern Maine where there was nothing going on mm -hmm. and um mountain bike uh, action and bmx action magazine you know that i lived for those magazines and richard yeah. was an editor and also was involved in uh, nishiki bikes and the alien with one of the original um, elevated chainstay bikes anyway richard was just one of these guys that i um as a kid in northern maine just look forward to reading his articles and and uh yeah. 
just all of his information and seeing the cool bikes he, he made. Um, actually, I think his company was Mantis and then Nishiki licensed the design. Anyway, so Richard was one of these guys. Um, he's an industry icon, industry veteran. And um, I got to know him uh, in the early years of my career. I met him at actually when I started working at Marzocchi. Um, oddly enough, we were next door to Mountain Bike Action Magazine. And John Kerr, one of the photographers for Mountain Bike Action, came next door to Marzocchi and said, hey, we're, we have to do a, a photo shoot and we're short some people. Can you come over and, and just you know be in some photos? And I was like, yeah. So I went over and I ended up being on the cover of Mountain Bike Action, which you know, oh, for cool. me was, was blow. Yeah. It was like mind blowing. Cause I was just, yeah. you know, I was 20, whatever, 21 years old or something like yeah. that. And on the cover of mountain bike action. And it was just, that was an incredible thing. Got to meet Richard through that. Um, and then just through trade shows and Norba racing and all of that, you know, we, we ran across our, uh, each other's paths quite a bit. And then fast forward to 2002 and I reached out to Richard and just said, um, Hey, I am thinking about starting this company, a suspension service and tuning company. If I was to do that, would you help me? You know, could I get an article or could, you know, could you help get something in the magazine? Yeah. And he said, absolutely. Just let me know if you're going to do something and, and I'll, I'll uh, put something together. So I was like, great. And, um, you know, several months later I hit him up and, um, yeah, he came to Irvine, uh, where I, where we started the company. We kind of walked around our, at the time, it, it seems like a closet these days, but we had a, I had a very small kind of office warehouse space in Irvine. Yeah. And then we walked across the street to uh, Wolfgang Pucks at the Irvine spectrum, had lunch, talked about push. And I think it was probably, oh, February of 2004, an article, two page article came out in mountain bike action with just some pictures and a short interview with me. And that launched, you know, that launched the awareness. So I'm, I mean, honestly, for the time, I, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better way to launch. No, it was, it was I mean, realistically like that. That was like the heartbeat of like where you would learn about anything mountain bike yeah. would be that, that magazine. So yeah. that would be like having all like the, the biggest YouTubers, you know, like yeah. on the, on the internet being like, all right, here's a video about push. Yeah. You know? and, the, and that was back when magazines, you know, magazines were relevant period and mountain bike action, as you mentioned, was on a pedestal, um, yeah. especially when it came to technical stuff. And I mean, ad space in those magazines, you know, I, I got a two page article, which if you had to yeah. buy that back then, I, I couldn't afford it. You know, it wasn't, yeah. I couldn't have run an ad, you know, to pay. I, I just couldn't, I didn't have the money. And right. so Richard kind of that with that article launched things. And then I've always been super focused from day one. It was uh, create high performance products and provide an exceptional customer experience because that's what I want. And so mm -hmm. that was that was my marketing plan. Just make super high performance stuff and provide an, an excellent customer experience because that's the most important thing. If something if you have a question if you need support, you know, and I, I drill yeah. that into every single employee in this company, you know, it's like where we are today and all the high tech equipment and the state of the art manufacturing, all this, that's all great. But if we still are not answering the phones, if we're not answering the online chat, if we're not engaged in the email, if we're yeah. not providing that excellent, you know, we have to be obsessed with our customers, which I am, I'm, I am obsessed with customer experience. And so, yeah, yeah. That's, 
that's how we started. And man, it, it, it worked. It really so was worked. it like immediately after that you were like, Oh crap, I'm busy as hell. Or like, yeah. did it trickle in or. No, it, it, uh, it switched on pretty much overnight. Yeah. It yeah. was just one of those things where, and the timing was really right because Fox had just introduced, uh, in 2003 is when they introduced pro pedal. So uh, okay. yeah, pedal technology. Yeah. yeah. And so I had, uh, developed a kit where I could, uh, take a non pro pedal shock and install a push version of the nice. pro pedal system. Uh, okay. And so there was thousands and thousands of Fox shocks in the field where people had read all about pro pedal and how amazing it was. And then push could install pro pedal for the fraction of a cost of uh, or yeah. fraction of the price of buying a new shock. And so I was really fortunate with the timing of having that particular upgrade that I could install in someone's shock. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's huge. That's definitely huge. Yeah. What, um, how did you come up with push with, what is their name? Like something <laughs> behind the name or, uh, it's kind of, a, no, it's not super exciting. Um, so my, again, my wife and I had kind of decided that we're going to do this, you know, we're going to mortgage our house and start, yeah. start this business. And, uh, that was early, you know, like getting a website was so important, right? Having some kind of website. And right. so we had to have a, we had to have a company. It's funny because we're not market. My wife and I are not marketing people. And so for us, yeah. We needed to have a company name, not for marketing, but because we wanted to register a website. Like that's, that was our thought process. Right. Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. Not like, Hey, we have to have a, have a great name and the marketing aspect. It's like, no, we just we need a website. Right. And so, um, we couldn't figure out what, what to name it, you know, coming up, coming up with a, a company name was not what we were good at. Right. And so, um, I literally went out on a, a mountain bike ride. And uh, at that time, we kind of lived over in an area in Southern California near Whiting Ranch. And um, I was just took off on my bike out of the garage, was riding up the climbing up Whiting and uh, just wasn't it was one of those days I wasn't feeling it. Um, everybody's had them, right? You just start the climb yeah. and you're like, ah, I just I, did, I don't want to yeah. do this. And, <laughs> yeah. And I and I just said, um, but man, if I just if I can just push through this, I, uh, the descent will be awesome. You know, I just, yeah. if I can just push to, to the top, then it'll all be great. You know, I'll just rip down. It'll be awesome. And right. that's when I thought push. I'm like, push. Yeah, push. That is, you know, again, I'm, I'm huge on racing. I love motorcycle racing, bike racing, car racing. And yeah. the idea of, of push is in every athlete's kind of vocabulary. Right. So I thought that's it. Push. We're going to call there the company push. And so I came back to the house, uh, told my wife, and we immediately looked up push.com, which was taken. Taken. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so then it's, it's, you know, push what? Push the envelope, yeah. you know, trying to come up with yeah. it. And um, in Southern California at the time, a lot of companies, you know, like industries was kind of a hip term, you know? Right, right, and right. So, uh, I just looked up, hey, is pushindustries.com available? And it was. And so, the company was named because uh, I wanted to be named Push and Industries was available on the worldwide web. <laughs> yeah, man. Finding a, finding a domain name is is like twice as hard as picking a company name. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, unless you have deep pockets and you, if you want to find one that's open, oh yeah. man, that's yeah, definitely it, a mess. Yeah. And at that time, um, I didn't know if Push was going to be solely a suspension company either. Right, and so right. I didn't want to call it uh, push suspension. 
Right. Um, although we own that now, but uh, push suspension was one of those names where it's like, wow, that locks us into suspension. And what if we yeah. need to do something else? But yeah, I have a friend that's starting a, a, a business with uh, it's kind of like a trailer, you know, but it's like an outdoorsy kind of thing, like yeah. like almost like a it, a revamped teardrop kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, like bike training. Yeah, just yeah. for like like outdoorsy people, let's okay. just say. You know, you know what I mean? So it the way his is is like basically you can pull it with a car. You don't need a truck. Oh, okay. You can and it and it and it shrinks down so you can put it in your garage or whatever. So real yeah. It, it there's some other products sort of like it, but not exactly. Anyways, um he had some names and I was trying to tell him, I was like, look, dude, just keep it vague. <laughs> Out of my, my experience is like, don't lock yourself into like expeditions or right. like if it's this and then some other word, it just shorten it up to the shortest version yeah. and go with that. You know, yeah, we can all learn from Apple. It's like, right. Apple. Exactly. <laughs> it's so true. And it's, I don't know. I, I've been through some rebranding processes in my professional career and, and they definitely had taught me some things yeah. where like when I started this, my, my YouTube stuff, it was like, I want something that's so easy to remember and um, end up yeah. with biker just had to spell it funny, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that's really interesting. I, I love hearing the, like how, how those things came about. It's funny because your story is pretty close. I became friends with Jake from Project Three Two One. I remember I asked yeah. him how how he came up with the name for his company, and he's like, "I don't know. I think we just needed like something to put on the form." Right. <laughs> he's like, "Uh, this sounds good." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. kind of like you were saying with you and your wife, like no marketing, like no. behind it at all. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and yeah. it's stuck. It's it's funny how. Um, yeah, again, it's not being marketing people just coming up with it um, again in the early days with getting your suspension pushed. And it's actually yeah. end up it's worked out perfectly um, without even. Yeah. Without any, I guess that's how some of the best things happen. Right. Just. Yeah. Yeah. Without yeah, trying. Yeah. To, I think I think had we probably put a lot of thought to it or hired someone to try to, you know, sort it out for us, we probably would have come up with a name that yeah. isn't true to our identity, you know? Yeah. There's probably some worthless website on push.com now too. And you're like, yeah. man, if I could only get that one. I, it, honestly, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't looked, so I wouldn't know, but yeah. 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 I'm, I'm sure it's one of those things there. I, uh, I had a, I I've been in tech for a long time, so I've had a handful of websites over the years and I own a domain geek that's G three, three K. Okay. And, um, back then, I wanted the .com because back then, like it was probably around around the same time you were looking for yours. Right. Like if you didn't have a .com, you were not a website. Right. Like you, you know what net. I mean? If you had if you had a <laughs> .net or a bit or something else, like right. nobody even knew that there was another .dot something other than .com. <laughs> right. You know. And so I I, uh, I wanted this like geek .dot .dot com and and it was taken, of course. So I ended up with .net, and but I would always like watch. And there was there was nothing on the geek.com website, like not right. even a splash no, page or anything. Yeah, yeah just part. Right? Yeah, yeah. And because I don't even think back then when when I bought it, I don't even think you had to have a park page. Like now it's like if you don't have a park page, somehow you can lose your domain or something like that. I don't know. And I remember sending the guy a message and being like, look, dude, you haven't done anything with this website in like three years. Like, why don't you sell it to me? You know? And uh, he's like, oh, no, no, I'm working on something. Yeah. And like the next day he put up like just geek.com on the page and that was it. 
and then it stayed that way for like another five years. And I was like, oh man. Yeah. You can have it, you can have it for $275,000. Right? Now he's probably, yeah, it's probably, yeah. yeah probably a million dollars, man, if you want it. Yeah. But yeah. Anyways, here we are. So uh, how do you get from, from working on other people's shocks to the point where you're like, okay, I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. So, um, as I mentioned, you know, kind of the first four years was just kind of servicing and tuning Fox, uh, suspension. We had a move to Colorado as well. So mm -hmm. started off in Southern California and then moved to Colorado, uh, Northern Colorado, um, for quality of life, you know, just uh, mm -hmm. getting out of the Southern California, um, area. My oldest son was getting ready to start kindergarten. And so the idea of like a lot of people in Southern California, we had daydreams of living somewhere else. Yeah. Anyway, we packed things up. We also needed another employee. So I had one employee in California and we were looking at what was next. And we figured we've been daydreaming. If we hire another person, do we hire here? Do we want to move? So we ended up moving to Colorado and uh, the business in Colorado started to grow pretty aggressively. Uh, so pretty soon it was like we had, you know, there was uh, three technicians and four technicians and five. Was it like geographically growing? Is that what you're saying? So like you were getting no. more people actually in Colorado or just the business itself? Yeah, just the business. Yeah. I mean, uh, okay. uh, word really, you know, because by then, you know, when we moved to Colorado, it was 2005. So it was the right. spring of 2005. And, you know, all of a sudden, um Website forums, message boards, like those started to become a really big thing. The MTBR, yeah. you know, dot com message boards, those things. Um, and so word spread much. So now that was like the transition from magazines to message boards where things started to happen much more quickly and right. a lot more reviews. And and um, as we all know today, you know, those their customers interacting, people's giving right. their real life um yeah. You know, experience. Yeah. You got 30 guys on a thread all saying like, dude, this thing changed everything. Right. That, reads that thread. They're like, Oh, I'm in. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. 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 So business, business grew exponentially. Um, so from 2005 to 2007, things uh, started to get really uh, crazy from a volume perspective. And we got to a point where we had a number of customers that became regulars and they always would say, you know, Hey, if you made your own shock, then I wouldn't have to send mine to you. You know, you could just, I could just, I'd like to be able to just buy one. And so that kind of started in, I'd say probably 2000 and 2000, 2007, 2008 is when people started to talk about that. And then we started to develop more and more uh, products. Um, we brought in, uh, we actually hired, you know, like an actual mechanical engineer and, mm -hmm. um, so our testing capabilities, our design capabilities, our prototyping cap, everything started to advance. And so then it was probably 2010 is when uh, the request for us to build our own shock started to really grow aggressively. And I honestly was at one point we were buying shocks from Rock Shocks. Fox wouldn't do it. So Fox, mm -hmm. the idea of us buying Fox shocks, tuning them and sending them to customers wasn't going to work. Um, rock shocks was yeah, I'm surprised that they didn't want to do some kind of like licensing thing where, where you would just like tune them out, you know, out the gate for them. And then, yeah. You, and you know I, what I mean? at the time I, I, at the time I thought they were crazy too, because, Hey, I want to buy a bunch of suspension from you. Right. Um, 
But now I understand, now that we're a manufacturer, I understand the warranty implications. I understand the marketing. I mean, there's, I understand today. Uh, back then yeah. I didn't, I was like, this, you're crazy. Why wouldn't you want to do this? Right, so right. We did do it with rock shocks. And so there was a short period at which we were buying uh, forks and shocks from rock shocks and tuning them and sending them to the customer. And that, that worked out really well, except if RockShox had a supply problem, we had a supply problem. If RockShox had a recall, we had a recall. If yeah, so you're really had, in their business. Yeah, so really, right. it, it proved to be kind of more challenging challenging than we had initially thought. But the concept was working, and so um, anyway, we just kept thinking about it, kept thinking about it, and I was I went to so we had a lot of chatter about it. We had stopped selling the RockShox suspension. And I went to Interbike and Interbike was, as you know, people know, used to be a huge trade show here in the bike industry. Mm -hmm. And I went to Interbike and I went by the Santa Cruz booth and we had just, uh, you know, we, we had supplied suspension for the Santa Cruz, the original Santa Cruz syndicate team. So when Santa Cruz syndicate was founded, Steve Pete, Nathan Rennie, uh, were on push Fox rear shocks that we built and tuned. And so we had a, we had a started a relationship with Santa Cruz and I went to Interbike, went by the Santa Cruz booth, saw Rob Roskop standing there, went over and uh, just was going to talk shit with him. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things he said is, you know, oh, do you guys have a booth here? And, and uh, we started talking. He said, so are you, are you showing your new shock? I said, what, what new shock? He said, well, tell me you're not still tuning somebody else's suspension. Tell me you guys are making suspension finally. And uh, I just said, no. And he said, man, you're, you're crazy. You need to make your own suspension. Yeah. Um, so I kind of laughed it off and walked away. And then I and then the next morning, ate into your brain, huh? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, Rob kind of said that to me. And then the next morning I went to breakfast uh, with a friend of mine and he kind of said the same thing. You know, he said, why aren't you building your own, you know, because we were talking about how, you know, because at that point we were, we were tuning uh, between eight and 9,000 Fox forks and shocks a year. So we wow. had, we had seven full-time technicians and we were doing eight to 9,000 Fox forks and shocks. Um, so it was a big machine at that point. And That's crazy. Uh, yeah, my friend at breakfast just said, why are you not making your own suspension? And I said, and I honestly, I just answered and said, because it's too expensive. We couldn't afford to start something like that up. Yeah. And he, he said, well, how much, what's expensive? And I said, I don't know, but it, it would just cost too much money. And he kind of challenged me to go back and determine what that looked like. He said, you really should have a look because he said, I bet it's not as scary as you think. Yeah. Um, and that's what I did. So I went back uh, home and started kind of working out a business plan of what would it actually look like to manufacture? Cause at that point also, I guess I skipped one part, which was, um, around 2009, we brought, we no longer were, uh, contract machining. We actually bought our first CNC machine. And so we were machining mm -hmm. parts in house at that point. So our upgrade parts, our pistons, valves were being machined in house. Uh, shortly thereafter, we bought a CNC lathe. So we had a CNC lathe, we had a CNC mill. Um, so we knew, we knew we weren't a manufacturer, but we knew how to make parts. Mm -hmm. 
so anyway, so there was that component. So we were already making parts. And so, yeah, I started to look at, well, what would it cost to make our own shock? Mm -hmm. And uh, sure enough, it wasn't as scary as. Yeah, because then you're like, wait a minute, I already have the machines. Because to me, the, the, when you first said that, my first thought process, man, those machines are expensive as hell. Yeah. So like I could think, but if you already had the machines, so then it's like okay, well, do I have time on the machines to like run right. some extra stuff or do I need it? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's when we kind of looked at it and said, well, you know, and if we are going to build a, if we are going to build suspension, you know, it has to be different. You know, I mean, we don't, we're not going to compete with, we're never going to compete with Fox or RockShox. I mean, we can't, these companies are, you know, huge OEM companies, um, not to mention, Customers who are coming to us are looking for something super high performance. They're looking for something custom. They, they're not going to buy a product in a box, right? That's not what they're looking for. So, um, yeah, so we just started down the path of this. It's interesting uh, to me that you you felt that way because it's like you have this built this business that's like all these people that are coming to have you just change what they're buying. Like, why wouldn't you think that like, they would be willing to just buy it from you. You, you know what I mean? Well, the, the concept was how do we how do we mix those two things? How do yeah. we build a shock, but it's that we can custom build to each customer. And yeah. that, that was the whole point. And then we looked at what that would cost. Um, yeah. So anyway, think, long, okay. long story short, you know, the whole concept, you know, the first 11, six, uh, we launched the 11.6 in March of 2015. And just so people that may not be familiar with your company, 11.6 yeah. is a coil shock. It's not yeah. an air, air can or anything like that. So you guys went straight to a coil. Yeah, because um, here in Colorado, we were, you know, the Nomad, Santa Cruz Nomad was a pretty popular bike around here. And I, at the time, also was riding a Santa Cruz Nomad. It was a great bike for Colorado. You know, big mm -hmm. terrain, big travel, um, sit and spin bike, you know, mm -hmm. wasn't going to win any uphills, but boy, was it a, a blast to ride. And so the problem was air shocks on these big, on these new long travel trail bikes at the time, uh, you, if you wanted to have any kind of climbing efficiency, it's like you had to overpressurize them or tune them, you know, really heavy, et cetera. So we really felt like coil suspension was where it's at. You know, we've always, I have always been a big fan of coil suspension. And so the market was saturated with all these air shocks for these long travel bikes. No one was really doing a coil shock. Coil shocks were still considered downhill. And mm -hmm. so I wanted to make a, a lightweight coil shock, like the lightest coil shock we could produce that had all these amazing features and technology and performance. And so that's why we went coil because it was, it was a empty space. If you had a Nomad and you wanted to buy a coil shock for it, it wasn't that easy to do. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to make a coil shock that was literally geared. It, it wasn't uh, overbuilt. It didn't have a heavy spring, all of these things. It was, it was built for the trail market. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did. So we, uh, so in March of, we started development in 2013 and then March of 2015 is when we launched the 11.6 and we only made 50 of them. Mm -hmm. And so the idea was, you know, at that time, it was more than twice the price of our competitors. Yeah. Um, it is, it was made in Colorado, like manufactured in Colorado and mm -hmm. still is, you know, that's something we're 
extremely proud of, you know, is um, we actually not, we don't just assemble because a lot of people, you know, promote that they, you know, it's assembled here or whatever. We actually mm -hmm. manufacture it here. Mm -hmm. um, and we combined those two elements, which was, boy, I got like mega sun. Sorry about that. Yeah. It, don't um, worry. We, we combined a complete product with that custom tuning. And that was the whole point is if you had a nomad, we found out how much do you weigh? What bike are you riding? What are you looking to, how do you ride it? And then we're going to build you a shock. Mm -hmm. And that's still what we do today. The 11.6 mm -hmm. is still a product where not only do we build different, a different version of it for different bikes, but inside of a bike, we build a different version of it. So if you mm -hmm. have a current, you know, uh, Santa Cruz Nomad, there isn't just a single shock for it. There is multiple shock specs that we build for that bike. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Why, why the name 11.6? So, um, yeah, we just did a little Instagram short on this one. So the 11.6, um, uh, we use, um, SolidWorks internally. We use SolidWorks simulation, 3d design, all of that stuff. And we have, um, a PDM server product data management server, um, which mm -hmm. is where everything stays secure, encrypted, all that. So um, I had been designing the dual overhead valve system. So the whole point of the 11.6 was coil, and that had this dual valve um, system that you could toggle between. So a, a, a really advanced technology that I developed and patented. And so I was, I had it on my desktop computer and had to transfer those files onto the PDM server so I could have one of our engineers actually start collaborating, start taking the design, refining it, working on it. Right. And so um, it was November 6th in uh, 2000, <laughs> well, probably 2012 at that point. Um, and it was late at night. I was in the office late like I am tonight, uh, seven o'clock. I wanted to transfer these files and the PDM server, you can't just drag and drop. It's like you have to create you know, a project name of this, you have to go through these steps. Yeah. And I was tired and just said, Oh, what is it? And the date was 11.6. And so I said, perfect project 11.6. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so that's how it started. So the name came from November 6th. And yeah. uh, um, shortly thereafter, uh, when we started kind of looking at, Hey, we got to come up with a name, etc. I was talking to a good friend of mine who is in marketing. And he said, well, you guys must call it something. And I said, well, no, we don't have a name. He said, well, no, you, it has, when you're talking to other engineers or people in the shop, what do you call it? And I said, oh, it's just project 11.6. And so he sketched up this kind of 11.6 logo and just emailed it to me. And right. he said, uh, check this out. I think it's cool. I think 11.6 is cool. And um, again, we're not the sharpest stick when it comes to marketing. And it was just like, yeah, that looks cool. Yeah, yeah. So the yeah. fork's going to be like the 714 or something like that? <laughs> the fork. <laughs> yeah. Um, the fork is called the fork right now. So <laughs> that's honestly, that's honestly what it's called. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it's internal code is horrible. Um, and not funny, using that one, man. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Funny kind of anecdotal story is um, I had the opportunity to, um, so there's a, a very large national marketing firm in Boulder uh, that I had the opportunity to meet with because one of the owners is a big mountain biker. And um, 
there's no way we could ever work with them. They're just too large of an organization, et cetera. But I, I did go down for kind of a brainstorming session one time. And it was kind of cool because I'm in this extremely fancy boardroom surrounded by all these marketing professionals. And one of the um, people at the table just said, you know, we've done some research, kind of looked at what push is, et cetera. And, um, you know, from what we can tell, you're a company that with the most high performance products in the marketplace with the absolute worst product names. And it's like, <laughs> oh, you know, this you, you, the HC97 and the ACS3 coil kit and the 11.6, they're, they're literally some of the worst names, you could, product names you could come up with. I'm like, wow, this is going well. <laughs> and uh, he said, but you need to continue that. And he said, yeah. you, you know, at some point you're going to need some marketing help. And he said that um, when you're talking with marketing professionals, if anybody wants to come in and kind of rebrand and rename and really kind of give you guys product names, he says, I'll just give you a piece of, of advice. He says, I would run. He says, because the point is, is that you guys are engineers first and yeah. technicians first. And it shows because the products are over the top highly engineered, highly precision made, you yeah. know, the focus of performance is number one forefront. And so having a horrible name is okay. And so, yeah, yeah. so I kind of took that to heart. And so now I'm uh, with the fork. Um, yeah. At this point it's the push fork. So yeah, right. I'm on. sure it won't, we'll when it goes to market, it won't actually be called that, but we'll it, see what it is. Then. It actually might. <laughs> yeah. It's a possibility at this point. That's Not funny. ruling it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what was that like bringing that to market? You know, what, like you're working on it for a couple of years. Yeah. You, I'm, I'm sure internally you're all like, man, this thing's sick, but mm. you can't like just eat your own, own like pudding and be like, yeah, yeah. you know, so you're like, you, like you made 50. How, how quick did they sell? Um, uh, pretty slow in the, in the first part. Yeah, I mean, and and just to back up uh, a second, so we we started off with two paths. We had a shock where we wanted. So at the at the time, so back in two thousand, you know, thirteen, the uh, Fox DHX um, and the King Creek Double Barrel were kind of the two premium coil shocks, mm -hmm. and. The Fox was around 550 bucks and the Cane Creek was around 600, maybe 625. And so the idea was, and the idea was, well, if we're going to build this custom built shock and we're going to manufacture it in house and we're going to use all the best materials and technology, um, we can't hit those price points. Yeah. And so we, we created two paths. The first path was we need to build a mountain bike coil shock for the trail market that's going to be $800. Mm -hmm. And then the other path is we're going to create a second prototype that is going to be unlimited. Like just let's just build and we won't we won't discuss costs at any point. We're just going to continue building whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, let's see where it goes. Yeah, and so that's what we did. And um so we started with those two paths and pretty it it was very shortly after doing that, we realized that the really high performance one was significantly better. You know, it's like, yeah. there's no question. And so what we had was we literally took these um, like neoprene kind of socks 
and we covered the shocks and zip tied them. So you couldn't see the shock on a bike. And that's how we were riding them here in, in Colorado. And it's funny because people saw these, um, these socks and they're like, Oh man, that's such a great idea. The shock sock, it keeps the mud off your shock. And literally yeah, they know yeah. that we had all this development going on, you know, right, but, right. Um, all the local riders just thought it was a cool, like mud cover. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So anyway, so we, with those socks, we could also have our friends and stuff ride them and they wouldn't know what they were riding. So the feedback is really, it's really honest. And for sure, like the, the perform, the high performance version always won. It was always mm -hmm. selected. And so very quickly we ditched the 800, the concept of being able to keep the price point to $800 because we couldn't mm -hmm. get the performance. Mm -hmm. And again, as a performance driven company, that if yeah. that's our priority, then we can't put a price point on it. So then um, we started kind of looking at pricing and it was quickly became 950. And we're like, whoa, you know, that is that is crazy. 950, which then turned into a thousand, which then turned into a thousand and fifty. And people here at Push were just like, we'll never sell one of them. Like at a thousand and fifty dollars, we can't, we won't sell one. And I was really starting to have my doubts as well, which is like, yeah, thousand and fifty dollars. I don't, I mean, it is the best product, but I don't know if the market can stand that. Right. But it's what it costs. It's what our labor costs. It what it, our machining, our materials. It's just what it costs. And so, mm -hmm. fast forward, we're getting we're closing in on. We built the finished product and priced it all out. And I went downstairs and told everybody, it's going to be twelve hundred dollars. And <laughs> and it was just like, huh? Yeah, I don't think we're going to sell like more than five. And it's like, yeah. Right. We, it sounds about so right. then you make 50 of the $1,200 ones, right? So then we right. decide, like, hey, we're going to make 50 of these things, we're, we're all in on the deal, and for sure, sales were really, really slow. Um, people were familiar with push, but the idea of spending that kind of money on a shock, um, also, we we weren't ex we were experienced in suspension tuning and upgrades, but we weren't a manufacturer of a complete product, and so I think people's reluctant and understandably, too, by the way people were reluctant to be the early adopters, you know, like, Hey, do I want to take a chance? That, but, but even with that time, like, I just think that a coil in general was not something that the average yeah. person would consider to be on their bike at all. Yep, you know? I agree. And I, and I think you also, you said like early, like 2011, something like that. You said 2013. When, when was that released? So we, we actually went to market March of 2015. 2015. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, so even then you still probably had a lot of the, um, I don't know how to say it other than like bluntly, like, like there's like this XC like weight kind of thing mm -hmm. oh, that, yeah, for that sure. came with mountain bikes then yeah. that it, it's really not so much as anymore. Like with the whole enduro, like people are like, yeah, 38 pounds. I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but back then, if you, if you were like having a heavy bike it was not a good bike correct and um throwing on a a twelve hundred dollar shock that's probably twice as much weight as yep, any hurricane out there yeah um people i would I, i'm sure it was just nothing but brake lights in their mind you know <laughs> like yeah and you you hit it um in the fact that weight and price were two huge hurdles and because at that time 
you know, today air shocks are very, well, not very heavy. The modern, like a uh, Enduro air shock, you know, like a Fox uh, X2 or like a RockShox Super Deluxe, you know, like mm -hmm. these, these modern air shocks, they're not light anymore. Um, no. But yes, in 2015, we were competing. So, excuse me, the Santa Cruz Nomad, the option was you had a uh, Fox um, Float X or a RockShox Monarch, I think it was. And both of those shocks came in at... 400 ish grams right and our shock was super light by the way so a, a standard coil shock was about between a thousand and twelve hundred grams and we came in at just over 800 and so right. it was incredibly light for what it was but it, that's still twice the weight of the air shock you're taking you're taking off a 420 or 450 gram air shock and putting on an 820 to 850 coil shock and so for sure it's like weight was a big thing and then the price and yeah we had a lot of lot of roadblocks and um i would say that those first 50 it probably took us it was basically or 10. like a pound pound more for people yeah that, yeah 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 because so. yeah, the pounds 400 and something or 400 yeah, and yeah. something grams so yeah, you're adding a pound of weight to your bike and you just paid twelve hundred dollars. So paid like a pound of, of weight out of your wallet and a yeah. pound. <laughs> <laughs> like. Yeah. And so um, but it was a legitimate product product, you know, and, and the price was what the way we were building it, the what you were getting, it was worth it. Still is today. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, then people started to get them and then it started to, it took eight or 10 months before we actually saw any regular sales of that particular product because mm -hmm. there was a lot of wait and see. And you brought it up earlier to your point. If you have 30 people on a message board that are all saying, yeah, I got one too. And man, just like everybody said, it's, it was awesome. The experience was awesome. The product's awesome. And so it took a while for those first 50 to kind of translate into that. Mm -hmm. And then I think the second run that we did was 200. And so I think the first run was 50. I think the second run was 200. And by just after the first year, so it would have been early 2016 is mm -hmm. when we started to sell them regularly. And by regularly, I mean, you know, one a week or, you know, it wasn't, they yeah. weren't flying out the door, but we had consistent messages, consistent inquiries, um, people were really seriously having a look at it. Um, and we were shipping them every week. We were shipping an, at least one shock. And, um, and once we started there, then, you know, the momentum grew. And then I think also after a year in the field, people knew it was durable because that was yeah. such a key priority for us as well. And so it's like, wait a minute, everybody who has one loves it. It's really durable. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's a good product, what, I mean, but it's expensive, but you get what you pay for type of thing. And Can I, you take your, your shock nowadays, the, the 11, six, like from bike to bike with you, or is it like specific yeah. to your bike? Yeah, we had a misstep with that. So <clears throat> when we launched the first 11, six, it was reconfigurable because there were, well, there was no metric sizes. There were no trunnions, like all these mm -hmm. funky shock mounts. So when right. we launched 11, six, there was, there was just traditional mounting systems and traditional shock sizes. And so the whole point was 
you paid $1,200, but when you went to your next bike, you could have it reconfigured for that bike. Right. And it was a pretty reasonable cost to do that because the idea of changing the length and stroke and springs and, um, so you could get your shock serviced and reconfigured for a reasonable price. And that was a huge selling feature. And I, I would say that probably three quarters, 75, 80% of people who are buying the 11.6 initially, that's what they bought it on. They bought it on the fact that, man, it's a great product, great customer experience, and I can take it to my next bike. Fast forward a few years later and metric, trunnion, all these weird mounts, strut mounts, like there's all these different shock standards that came out. Um, thank Rock Shocks for that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not mad. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so, uh, but these new shock standards uh, came out and I would say that that is one of the few times I think pushes really stumbled mm -hmm. because we didn't manage customers very well during that period because customers had shocks and wanted to take it to a new bike. And the cost of doing so was so ridiculous because they had a standard mount and now they had to go to a trunnion metric. And so now new head units, new this. And in hindsight, like, oh man, I'm basically making a new shock for this yeah. person at that point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I will, and I will, um, I will admit, and I will take responsibility that as a company, we didn't handle, we didn't do that well. Yeah. Um, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the missteps that we've had as a company because we went through probably a two year period where we really messed up on reconfigurations, um, taking mm -hmm. it to another bike and we put customers in a bad situation. And, um, so in, so today, so fortunately now, because metrics and trunnions and all that stuff have become more standardized, the reconfiguration cost is back to being more normal. Yeah. Um, but also we adopted a trade-in program and that's the thing that we should have done and didn't do back then. Mm -hmm. So um, I know there might be some people, you know, even watching this, listening to this uh, that will say, yeah, I bought one of the original 11 sixes and I ended up selling it because the reconfiguration wasn't good. And that's what I bought it on. And, yeah. Sucks. And I, I feel bad because we did, I, I can't admit that we did that poorly. Yeah. But and, those are learning experiences and yeah. um, these things happen. So, yeah. And now, I mean, and now we do a trade-in. So now it's one of those things where if you have a platform where it's going to be, you know, a thousand dollars to reconfigure it to your new bike. Well, neither one of us is thinks that's acceptable. And so now we work with, how can we trade, do a trade-in? How can we do right by the customer? How can we get that? We, what, do we you do, what do you do with the, the one that you receive? Um, it depends. You know, some of them can be reconfigured uh, or sorry, not reconfigured, refurbished, and we can sell them as a oh, okay. refurbished shock. Yeah. Yeah. So we can, we do have some refurbished uh, sales. Um, it's not, not super common, um, but, you know, sometimes if someone's looking for, you know, um, a good deal. They can email into our sales department and say, Hey, I have this bike. Do you have anything refurbished or something? Uh, we don't really yeah. publish that stuff. Yeah. Cause it's not, it's not like we have a bunch of it. Um, right. Right. So we can refurbish it, but it's some of it gets recycled because if it's a shock that just is really got a, a lot of miles and isn't worth. So if it's not refurbishing it, we will just take the hit on it. Um, mm -hmm. If it's worth refurbishing we will. And then we have a opportunity for people to have another option to buy our product. 
Um, but ultimately, the program's there to just make sure the original buyer of an 11.6 is we're doing right by them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. cool. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, at least you you learned from your mistake and you pivoted and you have an option for people now. Yeah. So, so essentially, when you buy one now, yeah, they are though in a way made for that specific bike. Correct. So because of the different suspension platforms, that's kind of why you got got your. It is the way that it is. Yeah. Yeah. We um we actually develop. So one of the things that we do, and this is a common question we get a lot, which is, you know, Hey, I'm looking at your, the bike list on your website and how come you don't do this bike or this bike? How come you don't offer a shock for this brand or this? And mm -hmm. it's because, um, we actually physically get every single bike and test it. So, um, you know, like right now we just finished up, it's not public information yet, although it's about to be, cause I'm about to say it, but, uh, we just, <laughs> we just finished the, uh, the Trek fuel EXE, the fuel and the mm -hmm. fuel EXE. Um, so that's a new fitment that we're going to be offering next week. And so the way it works is we actually, uh, work with Trek on the fitment. We get the bike physically here. We test ride at stock. We test ride it yeah. with prototype shocks and, um, yeah, we have, it's not just different valving. We actually use different mechanical parts. We have different types of bump stops, hydraulic bottoming control, like all these different configurations. So the shock that we, you can have two 11.6s that are the identical size. They both go on same, you know, you can have two shocks that are 65 millimeter stroke that go on 160 millimeter um, wheel travel bike, but they're built differently they actually have different bump stops and different this and different that because they're actually built bike specific and right. that's that's the big difference between what we do and a production shock so mm -hmm. the recipe is what we call the the fitment or the recipe for each shock is specific to each bike and that's how we that was it. something i wanted to ask you so i'm glad that you you kind of touched base on that because at the end of the day first of all the first time I ever rode a coil, it completely changed my perception of what suspension feels like. Yeah. In like, I just like every other person, like the people we were just talking about, like was heard all these people say it was great, but the, 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 the cost barrier to get, to try one yeah. was like, man, I don't, I don't want to spend over a thousand dollars for maybe it's better. You, right. you, you know what I mean? Regardless mm -hmm. of how many people that told me, it, it, you know, it's great. Yeah. But man, holy shit. Once I tried it, it was like, yeah. where's this been all my life? Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know, so it, but then, you know, like going a step outside of that is like, okay, so I can sit here and tell people, I don't care if you're over 200 pounds and you don't have a coil shock, hundred percent, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like a hundred percent. There is not a doubt in my mind. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> and, but then most, bikes, right, most bikes, yeah. right, right, right. Okay. I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, then like that same person could turn around and ask me is so then why not buy this Fox coil? That's like 500 bucks yeah. versus yeah. this other one. That's 1200 bucks, you know? And yeah, that, and I, I can I, I, go ahead. Yeah. I can obviously <laughs> speak to that. You can. Yeah. I mean, there's coil shocks that you can buy for $500. Um, we don't, by the way, I don't know how much the Fox one costs. I just said that number. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I'm sure you could buy one like, uh, the base, you know, the ones with the orange, the nice orange springs and all that stuff are much more expensive, but 
Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're buying an 11.6, you're not just buying a product, you're buying a support system. I think the biggest thing is, so first off, um, I'll just pick uh, the new Mega Tower. So Santa Cruz Mega Tower. Um, if you have a Mega Tower and you're looking to upgrade the performance, we always talk about what push represents is the easiest way to upgrade your suspension without knowing anything about suspension. We buy that mega tower, we do all of the development, we come up with a shock for that bike, specifically for that bike. When you contact push, we wanna know how much do you weigh? What's your riding style? What are you looking to get out of the bike? Um, what do you like or dislike about your current setup? And then we build you a product. And so we build you a shock for that mega tower um, that comes ready to ride. It comes with the correct spring rate. It comes with all the mounting hardware. Any, it literally, you take it out of the box. So if you have a Thursday night ride and you get it on Thursday, you take it out of the box, you put it on your bike, all the compression settings, all the rebound settings, all the sag, everything has already been set by our technicians here. In the box is your card from the technician that shows you where all those settings are. So you just put it on your bike and you go ride it. And the expectation is right out of the box, even before it's broke in completely, your experience should be, this is the best product I've ever ridden. You know, that's mm -hmm. our expectation. Along with that is we have a mobile and website app that you can log into for a cheat sheet. So if you go to our website, you go to our support tab and you pick Santa Cruz, you pick Mega Tower. And it has all the settings. If you want to make changes, adjustments, um, we give you little cheat guides. If you want a, you know, a fast, flowy jump pump line mode, if you want a plush DH mode, whatever. Here's how you you don't have to learn. Oh, that's cool that you break it down like that. Because yeah, to, so to me, like I'm not a sus super suspension guru, right. so I'm like it's too boingy, you right. know. <laughs> like, like, and where do you start, right? And, yeah, and yeah. Which dial to turn. And yeah, my buddy the other day we were riding and I and he said I said, Man, my fork feels like shit. And he's like, Well, what's it feel like? I was like, that's all I got. Yeah, <laughs> we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so and and that's the thing. And so we have uh we set it up for you out of the box. Then we have um the settings guide, which is available online and via your mobile, so that even if you're on the trail and you want to try something. You don't have to learn low speed compression versus high speed compression versus you don't have to know that stuff. It's a it's a diagram that shows you this dial, turn it this direction this many times. And mm -hmm. so we break it down really easily. If you use that online guide and you ever get lost, you have your settings card, how it was shipped that you can just put everything right back to where it started. Yeah. You can get on our online chat via email, phone, and you can actually talk to a technician that can walk you through, like you just said, um, my shock feels like shit. Okay. Yeah. Where is it at? What are you doing? What, where does it, you know, like yeah. when it feels like shit, where does that happen? And so you have, you basically have a professional support network via online phone, email, well, however you, whatever's convenient for you so that you don't have to learn about suspension. Again, it's the easiest way to upgrade your suspension without knowing anything about suspension. Mm -hmm. And that's really what you're buying. You're buying the product, you're buying the experience, you're buying the professional support network. And which is why we offer a 60-day performance guarantee. Because mm -hmm. if, if in fact you get your shock and you ride it, and you go through the settings, you talk to our technical team, and they're not able to get you 100% where you want it, 
you can send it back and for free, we will redo it. So in the first 60 days, we can respring it, revalve it, whatever we have to do, because our expectation is at the end of the day, you're like, this is the best suspension setup I've ever had. And honestly, even rewind back to 2014, 13, 14, 15, when we were finishing up the first 11.6, we knew, I mean, people couldn't get this product and be, death of this product was when people said, yeah, it's pretty good. Like, whoa, wait, (laughs) pretty good. No, this has to be the best thing you've ever written. That's that's the expectation. And so even today, that is our expectation. We are not happy until you say, this is the best setup I've ever had. And we provide a whole support network to make sure that you get there. Don't search for mounting hardware, what spring rate you need. You don't need to know anything about it. We just need to know how much do you weigh, what bike are you on, and what is your riding style? And are there any special notes we should know about? And with that, we're going to make sure that you get the best suspension you've ever had. Yeah. With the, um, I think one of the things with coils that's um, tough for people is the weight thing. It's like, yep. oh, I need a different spring for how much I weigh. Like just generally, how much weight like do you have like sway in a spring? Like, is it like 20 pounds? Is it like? Yeah. Plus or minus 20 is really the the limits. Yep. And, and it varies based on, um, you know, we have really comprehensive spring guides for each bike on our website as well. And so you kind of have to look at where the overlaps are too, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, generally speaking our we do. So the other thing that we do that's different is we offer our springs in 25 pound per inch increments in order to really fine tune. So mm-hmm. the normal is 50 pounds. So 50 pounds per inch is the normal spring rates that um, are available on production shocks. We do 25. And again, it's a, how do we squeak the maximum performance? Well, we have to even fine tune the spring rates. And so because our spring rates are 25, you've got a, a finer resolution or overlap between spring rates. And so, um, yeah, 15 to 20 pounds is kind of where you see those swings. If is that from, is that spring rate made by like how tight the coil of the spring is, or is it made by the material? No, it's the design. Yeah, so the material is all the same. Um, Hyperco makes our spring. So if, if you're not familiar with Hyperco, every Indy 500 since 1964 has been one on a Hyperco spring. They're a high performance motorsports company based here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so Hyperco has been making our springs since day one. And it's the design. So when you look at, um, it's the wire diameter, how many coils it has. Um, so that's that's really what determines. So they're all the same material, different mm-hmm. thickness, different coil count is how we how we adjust what the actual spring rate is. Got it, got yeah. it. And then are like the springs are all like round. They're, there's not like a different shape into it. Like, a, oh, if it's oval or if it's like a different like, no, our springs are a different shape, actually. Okay. So a uh, traditional mountain bike spring is round. Um, mm-hmm. Ours is barrel shaped. Looks like a, like a, uh, almost a looks barrel. like a barrel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's why um, you'll also see, I mean, our spring system is over-engineered. Uh, push Industries, over-engineered. That's kind of yeah. our, our thing. We look at every detail. And so even our, our spring system, the barrel shape uh, allows us to um, orient the end condition of the spring perfectly 
um, the alignment of the end condition is what allows our spring to compress um, much straighter than a standard round spring. And so we get better small bump sensitivity because of that. We get better rate. Um, and also you'll notice that our, our rear shocks are the only shocks on the market that don't have a plastic spring guide on the body to keep the spring from wearing. So if you've ever looked at a standard coil shock, they have a little plastic um, cap that goes like on the shock body. Yeah, ah, yeah. It's like a cover. It's a plastic cover that goes on the shock body because the springs rub on the shock body. Oh, okay. Um, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. We've even designed our spring system to eliminate that. And so our springs don't rub on the shock body. So we don't have to have that guide. Um, but again, it's because we over-engineer. So if you look at our spring, it actually um, is tighter on the ends and, and larger in the center. So it has that, that barrel shape, which allows us to manipulate where the ends start and start and finish. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you've had the 11.6. Do you have other, other models as well? I'm sorry. I'm not super familiar with your, your product line. <laughs> So we have, no, they're all 11.6. We do have um, different versions. So we have the 11.6 Micro, which is a special shock that we built for the Revel Ranger and the Evil following. So two real short travel bikes. So we have a mm -hmm. compact coil version of the 11.6 called the Micro for these really short travel bikes. Um, a lot of people hit us up about the Transition Smuggler. That's another one they want a Micro on, which is probably going to happen. We have the standard 11.6 which is uh, our you know traditional mountain bike version and then we have the 116 uh, e mountain bike specific so we have the micro the standard and then the 116 e which is our e-bike specific shock which comes with a different uh, shaft assembly uh, different build and it's built for the rigors of modern e-mountain yeah. yeah yeah so the uh the micro one you're yeah. you're kind of targeting that like down country let's just say that that marketing yeah. term everybody hates kind of kind of those those bikes with that yeah it's it's really um it's that 110 to 130 mil rear travel um yeah. a, a place where nobody goes with a coil shock you know and it actually it started because of our relationship with evil yeah and uh kevin uh walsh over at evil uh he he was like man we should make we should do a coil shock for the following and it's like, yeah, I don't know, the following, like, really? And you think, oh, it'd be great. And so um, he and I started kind of laughing about it over beers, you know, like, yeah, I mean, let's make a coil shock for this super short travel yeah. you know, trail bike or whatever. And uh, we did. And surprisingly, uh, it was awesome. Uh, yeah. I shouldn't say surprisingly. Great frame, great shock combo. Right. It, it made for a really cool bike. So people were taking followings and putting 130 and 140 travel forks on them and putting an 11.6 micro on the rear yeah. and had this super aggressive short travel bike. I a hundred percent understand it. Like yeah. I, I was riding the, the tall boy. I had a tall boy last year. And yeah. the reason that I sold it was because I had heard that like potentially the, the new one was going to have a bigger, like, area in it for a, a coil shop well, yeah and and it was in that time that that i was riding that bike that i also had my my longer travel bike that i had a coil on and it was like dude this thing has changed the way i feel about yeah. riding to the point where i don't want to it's like either i want to ride a hardtail with no rear suspension or something with a coil yeah <laughs> you know and and uh that short travel bike it's still super fun to have you know that that kind of responsiveness of it but yeah once you get used to 
and I hate using these words because it's, it's like, but like, you're so planted on a coil, you know, and the way that it feels when you drop off of something like, I, I don't know how else to explain it, but like the way that, that like, you just feel that like spring rate engage yeah, and it just feels so like predictable and, and it's like I'm using all the words that everybody uses. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, it, it really comes down to, you know, the big thing with coil shocks is they have so much less friction and drag from seal systems that you yeah. get this amazing small bump sensitivity that people are all familiar with. But the other thing is, uh, so back when we first started building coil shocks, the modern or the air shock of the time had a really bad air, what we call air hammock. So air shocks have positive and negative air pressure. And there's a point. At, so when the shock is fully extended, you have full negative pressure, full positive pressure. As a st shock starts to compress, the negative volume grows and the pressure drops and the positive pressure climbs and gets smaller. Well, there's a transition to where they kind of are equal in volume and pressure. That's not really saying it right, but there's, there's a point at which in the stroke of the shock where instead of the air pressure, instead of the air spring rising, it kind of levels and then rises again. It's when the positive and negative yeah. pressure, it's what we call the air hammock. Okay. And Makes so, sense to me the way you explain it. Yeah. And so um, five years ago, air shocks had a really bad air hammock. And so when you would notice that is when you're berm blasting or riding kind of, kind of single track where you have switchbacks and you push into the rear wheel and it's like support, support. And all of a sudden, whoa, it felt like the bottom felt out, fell out. It almost felt like the tire like rolled. And so um, modern air shocks with uh, advancements and high volume negative springs and all these things. So the air spring technology has advanced a lot, but you still have an air hammock. All air shocks yeah. still have that kind of push and pull yeah. of the air springs. And so what you're, what you're describing that you like from a coil shock is the lack of that that hammock. And yeah. so when you drop off something, when you push into the rear suspension, it kind of supports it. You know, when you push in the suspension, it's predictable. You push yeah. and it loads and it loads and it loads. And at no point does that loading characteristic change. Yeah. Whereas an air shock, you can load it, load it. Oh, there's a weird spot and yeah. then it loads again. So that's what you like. Yeah. I, I noticed it a lot too in like, uh, say you're going through a, a berm that had a bunch of brake bumps in it. Okay. And, and before on an air shock, it would be like, you went through and just be like, feels like your teeth are just going to chatter out of your head. You're just like, no, 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 no. and you come out the other side and you're like, okay, sweet. You know? And, and that was, you know, one of those rides when I first was on a coil and I went through a section like that. Yeah. And it was like, wait a minute, did they fix the trail? Yeah. Like I honestly thought something changed on the trail. Yeah. And then I realized like, no, that's my suspension. And it was uh, really and, just such an eye-opening experience. Yeah. And that probably, that type of characteristic comes more from the friction element. Mm -hmm. So like braking bumps, et cetera, coils tend to feel more plush because of the lack of friction. So the, the that high frequency movement is easier. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's why even again with our product, we really focus on friction, reducing friction everywhere, because anytime you can reduce the friction allows you to add control. So now we can control it with damping and different systems uh, by eliminating it. And that's, but that's, yeah, coils are really good at that particular characteristic. So um, why go from the coil to a fork 
instead yeah. of like the coil to like, how can we do air? You know, um, <laughs> consumer, consumer demand. Um, yeah. So it's sort of like the 11, six, you just have a lot of people over the years that have been saying, when are you guys going to make a four? Yeah. I mean, it, it, we have been absolutely beaten down over the last few years by customers who have 11.6 and want a matching fork because yeah. um, they get their rear shock and immediately it's like, wow, this thing's amazing. Um, what what about my fork? Like I want my fork to feel like this. And yeah, um, yeah so obviously it's in, we're very interested in having our own front fork. Um, listen, if I'm being honest, I don't like having a push shock and a Fox fork on my bike, right? I want yeah. a push fork personally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, part of it is that part of it is, uh, consumer demand. Um, there's, there's a number of reasons for it, but <clears throat> ultimately before moving into another product, we want to have a match set, right? We want to have, yeah. um, and while I can't really disclose details on the fork, um, it's really, it should be obvious that we're targeting. Uh, the eleven six customers, right? So mm -hmm. if you if you have a bike that has an eleven six, that bike is really what we're gearing our fork towards, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, yeah, it's just having that match set, and to get people off our back, we hear you. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. If I ask anything to do with the fork that it, that you can't answer, Tilly, yeah. you know, tell me because yeah, I'm no going to ask anyway. But like yeah. when when you were you know, sitting down in that initial like phase of, okay, let's, let's think about this fork. Yep. Your, your, was your, your market was just 11.6 or it was like, Hey, we want to hit those enduro kind of riders, or it was just like, how can we pair up a suspension better? Yeah. It was just, I mean, our focus with the fork was uh, for sure, just 11.6 bikes, you know, that travel, that category, um, yeah, we we want people who have an eleven six to be able to have a push fork, um, mm -hmm. and so we want it to be complementary. So the fork, the 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 whole idea behind it is the same as the rear shock. Ultimate performance. Um, let's know we're not going to hold anything back. We're going to build the most high performance fork the mountain bike world has ever seen. The weight size scale everything is going to be so for an 11.6 customer right yeah um, it's it's that customer and so yeah. you know we we're not saying anything i think for a lot of people I've, I've seen a lot of comments on the internet obviously since showing it at sea otter you know it's pretty obvious um you know we're, what travel range it's going to be you know what the weight is going to be you know i mean it's we're going after it you know yeah. we showed it on a we are one arrival you know, we showed yeah. it on a Trek Fuel EXE. It's yeah, it's after that category. We will yeah. have, uh, you know, both a mountain bike and an E version. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's something what special. Goes, what goes into the E version that is so much different? I always hear that with a lot of different components. And yeah, as a normal like you know guy, like I'm like, what what is? I mean, what's the difference? You know? Yeah, it's really focused on strength uh, durability, um, load mass, you know, I mean, the point is, is that the way, you know, even with our, you know, like our E mountain bike shock uses a steel shaft versus an aluminum shaft. Uh, part of that is for the coating that we can put on the shaft. Part of it's for strength, durability, wear, all of those things. Um, we use a different valving piston, all that in our e-bike shock, because 
you know, when you're looking at a 34 pound mountain bike versus a 54 pound e-bike, even if it's the same thing, right? You take a uh, Santa Cruz Nomad and a Santa Cruz Bullet, same chassis, same layout, but the bullet, it the way it loads the suspension is different. Um, that mass under braking, I mean, it's just a different dynamic. So the performance has to be different. So the damping settings have to be different to deal with those those loads. The durability has to be different. to me that that makes such a difference because your rider weight could be like, a hundred pounds difference or 150 pounds difference, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it just has to do with, um, you are absolutely right, but it also is where the weight ends up, you know? Uh Um, and so there's just a, yeah, it's just different. I mean, the loading on e-bikes, the terrain, the, the mileage you put on them, that's another big thing. You know, we've been riding a lot of e-bikes over the years, just kind of getting a feel for what all the different models, um, how they behave, how they work. And, you know, it's not uncommon to go out and do a 25 or 30 mile ride on a e-mountain bike, which is normally a six to 10 mile ride on a mountain bike, right? So you're getting two to three times the mileage in a single day. And so mm-hmm. if you're riding three days a week on a mountain bike versus three days a week on a uh, e-bike, I mean, three days on the e-bike might equate to six to nine days on a regular mountain bike. So that, that wear yeah. and that load, you know, it's, the service life, all those things go way up. So we have to, we have to adapt to that for sure. Braking systems, you know, on the, on the e-bikes too, you know, a lot bigger brakes are, you know, right out of the gate. Like, I don't know if, I don't even think they put 180 rotors on an e-bike, right? It's like minimum yeah. 200. Yeah. And, yeah. And 220 or 223 or whatever the, the real big ones are. So yeah. a lot of loading, a lot of brake loading on e-bikes too. So. Yeah, it's just yeah you're definitely starting to see that more and more. I, I, I'm a bigger di- guy, so I, yeah. I've ridden always much bigger rotors, and I've ridden, at this point, 203s for I don't even know how long. And I was talking to uh, Sebastian from uh, Normal Mountain Biker. I don't know if you know him. He's an Instagram guy. And uh, mm-hmm. anyways, he's a real big dude, and he's, like, bigger than I am. He's like, yeah, yeah man, 223, and that's it, you know? Yeah. And, and, <laughs> And he's like, and he was telling me, he's like, look, dude, you're, you're a big guy too. He's like, honestly, try a two, two, three. And you'll, you'll be like, yeah, you'll, you'll be like, why the hell have I not been doing this all along? Yeah. It's still weird with braking too, because I don't know. I always tell people, you don't know you have shitty brakes until you get better ones. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? listen, that that's a saying that goes uh, across all platforms. You know, the most common one in suspension is it's only as good as you know. Yeah, yeah. It's only as good as you know. And until you get uh, upgraded suspension, upgraded brakes or whatever, you, yeah, it's only as good as you know. Do you think that um, you're going to start seeing more and more OEM coil systems kind of like coming out? Because it seems to me, it seems to me that that coil option is really starting to become more and more standard. Um, I'll say it's really challenging because when a bike is on a shop floor, someone who comes in 180 pounds, 200 pounds, 140 pounds, it doesn't matter. You can add and remove air pressure to get the suspension so they can pick it up that day. Mm -hmm. If you take that same scenario and the bike has a 500 pound spring on it and you don't have extra springs, uh, they might not be able to take it that day. Um, or if, you do have the springs. It's like, you might have to, I mean, does the shop have the capacity to change out the spring for the customer while they wait? 
Um, is there staff available? You know, there's a number of factors that, you know, the one of the most common reasons why air suspension is so popular in mountain bikes is because of its ease, its ease right. in a bike shop. And so, yeah, yeah. so um, I, there's a demand for coil suspension at the OEM level. I just don't know. And again, we, we navigate that all the time, even, and we're real small volume on the OE side, obviously. Mm -hmm. So we navigate that all the time. Um, and uh, that's challenging. And it's why, again, we are one is a, a successful OEM partner of ours because they build boutique bikes or an evil or a revel. You know, these are companies that have a little bit more flexibility. Yeah. You're uh, starting to see that direct to consumer though, come up more and more where yeah. like somebody like I had common saw on a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, somebody like Fazari where you yeah. can order it directly from them in this totally different configurable space. And I mean, I think easier for that. Thing to that oil. Easier yeah. For yeah. 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 And I think that, um, when I go out to the trail system on the weekend, I am seeing way more coils than I did even like three years ago. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It, or two years ago for that matter. What you like, meant to say it, is you're seeing a ton of 11 sixes out there. Yeah. Nothing but 11 smiling sixes. faces. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I will say that when I wrote the show notes, um, I had mentioned like for a long time, if anybody ever said coil to me, like the picture that came in my mind, is an 11 six yeah cool you, you, you know like that and i think it's that for a lot of people yeah. because um you guys are the standard like i mean i'm not trying to just like you know blow smoke up your ass or something i mean you know like that was the that's the the god honest truth is like yeah. everybody knows that 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 coil first of all it's like you know that um just machined metal you know mm -hmm. and you're, so it, it's like it's distinctive you know when you would see that on somebody's bike you, you weren't sure it wasn't a question of like oh is that a fox or is that a, yeah, a rock shot? A push it was like no that's a push you know yeah. like you know it without a doubt yeah. whereas like when you were tuning um fox's stuff it was like a sticker on there or something you yeah. know what i mean you would be like oh yeah okay oh that's pushed right on yeah. you, you know what i mean so um but uh i think it's that same way for for people still like and i i think if it wasn't for fox having one now with, you know, that pretty orange coil that you mentioned earlier, yeah. I think that, that, that still would be the one that people think about, but yeah. Um, how, how do you, how, how do you think that you get a person to get over the price difference though? Um, I don't know if it's really a, a get over, um, or accept it or yeah. yeah like, I, I, I really think that, I, I think that what happens, I think that a lot of people, the price for sure, you know, like it, it, it's striking when you first see it, if you're shopping for coil shocks. But yeah. then I think, you know, again, I shouldn't say, I think I know this because we deal with this every day. Once people start looking into, it really comes down to, well, why is the, why is this thing so expensive? You know? Right. And so I think that when people start looking into um, the development that goes into it, the fact that we build one for every bike, you know, the different per bike, mm -hmm. the fact that we manufacture it, um, the custom assembly, you know, the support network, it just adds, it's like on and on and on again. Yeah. It's, it's, it's for the person who, if you're looking for upgraded suspension performance today, not one that you have to learn about, not one that you have to create brackets and tuning. If mm -hmm. you're 
someone who's like, Hey, I'm looking, I'm looking for that easy button. You know, I'm looking for the, I, I appreciate the support network. I appreciate that. I don't have to figure out spring rate or even think about those things. Mm-hmm. And the other thing too, is trying to keep up with all the technology and the mounting systems and what dial does what that's, that's a big part of it. So when you start looking at all the factors, it's like, okay, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, I think the, the other thing too, is, you know, kind of our key technology with the 116 I mentioned earlier is our dual valve system where you have two shocks in one. Because with modern trail bikes, if you want to optimize the suspension setup for climbing or trail performance, it sacrifices downhill performance and vice versa. So being mm-hmm. able to have two independent circuits where you can optimize, like if you're a person who likes to sit and spin versus stand and hammer, or say you're someone who likes to do a lot of technical climbing, like that's your jam. Mm-hmm. Um, to have a shock that's set up for technical climbing, for example, isn't going to work well when you start descending. And so, so basically you have a switch on there and you're able to choose. So as a customer, you could say, when you, when I flip this switch, I want it to be good for technical climbing. And when I yeah. flip it the other way, I want it to be good for like regular. National rock yeah, yeah. 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 But, or the other end, they could say, I want this switch to like almost lock this damn thing out. Yeah, right. And on the other hand, I want it to be like 30 foot drops. Yep. You know, so yeah, yeah, you can like totally however you want it. Yeah. And that's the real hit, right? Is we all, most riders who are riding a longer travel bike um, understand that, yeah, if I want to optimize it for this type of terrain, it means I have to compromise for that type of terrain. And so that was our whole point. So the whole idea behind the dual valve was to give riders two distinct riding modes, not a climb, not a, not a climb switch or a lockout or one of those, like some kind of fast switch but give them two different modes because um, again, I like to, if a rider says, I really like technical climbing. Okay. Well to set the compression and rebound system and to set it up for that type of terrain where you want it to be firm, but has to have grip over roots and rocks and you're using your body English to get up stuff. Mm -hmm. That suspension is going to be horrible. If you just want to have a plow bike on the big descents and rock gardens. And Mm -hmm. so that was the first thing is, okay, we're going to give them two ride modes that give them two completely different shock characteristics. Now, the second part is let's let them define what it is. So let's give them easy to use external controls and a guide on how to set it up or a support system to do that. So my, my thought was two distinct ride modes and they're rider defined, not product managers, not push the rider mm-hmm. gets to choose what those modes are and use it in any way that they want. Yeah. Um, and so that's really that's a really big aspect of it. So when you look at, again, uh, when you start looking at all the features, all the benefits, the support network, it's a it's a lot of things. And so it's and not it, like they have to send it in to somebody to get it those modes yeah. changed. They can just go on your your app that you were talking about or your yeah. website or yeah. call if they wanted to, and they can they can physically make those changes themselves. themselves. Yeah. Without even understanding and without having to understand the technology, you know, because that's another thing too, is as a rider, I don't want to, okay, so for this, it's doing this. Oh, my bike's bucking. Do I turn the low speed or the high speed? Do I add preload? Do I slow my rebound? It's like, I I don't want to know. I want somebody, I want an expert to tell me, to shortcut me. How do I get that shortcut? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I can relate with that 100% because yeah. I, I mean, I've been riding since mountain bikes since the 90s, you know, but yeah. it's just one of those things where I just don't want to spend the mental 
aptitude on learning it. Yep. It's just like, make it work for me. And I'm stoked. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? There's some things where I'll have friends that are like, man, no, I can tell you about that. And I'm like, look, dude, it doesn't matter how well you can explain this. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I just want to use it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just like, yeah. I know where my, my boundaries are. And like right now, this yeah. is it. Like to me, well, flipping a switch on my shock is about as far as I can get. Wherefore yeah. I'm like, I don't want to deal with this anymore, yeah. man. And that's, and that's, uh, you're our perfect customer, right? You're the person who's like, Hey, I want the good stuff and I want to know a little bit about it. And I want to understand yeah. some of it, but I don't want to go into the minutia. I don't want all the details. And so yeah. delivering, delivering this level of performance in a package that's easy to use and full support. Yeah. And again, it's, you know, we get a lot of, obviously a lot of people appreciate um, that we make it here. You know, if it's, that's, that's another big aspect of it. And I will say that our, I have to give a shout out to our manufacturing team here because they are, they're, un, uh, we have an amazing team of people across the company, but yeah, I mean, the, to have engineers that design these complex high performance things and have our manufacturing team so committed to, details and and form and um yeah i mean they make beautiful stuff i'm super yeah. proud of our design manufacturing sales assembly like everybody who yeah. works here yeah we have amazing yeah, it's really people. cool that you, you know first of all i think there's a big push in the u.s again to see yep. american-made companies and that's really starting to you're starting to see a lot of businesses really kind of pivot that direction which yeah um Everybody, I'm sure, has their own opinion on it. My personal opinion is I think it's awesome, you know, yeah. and, and I'm willing to pay more for that. That's yeah. just, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and it maybe does cost more. Is. Yeah, yeah maybe. It, 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 that's yeah. part of it. You know, I mean, part of the price is, you know, our materials, we use only domestic source raw materials. We use, mm -hmm. obviously, U.S. labor. We use, it's, It is just yeah. more expensive to make stuff here. Um, and we're proud of that. We're We're, yeah. we're really proud of it. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is what it is. So, yeah, um, you guys, you guys do everything in, in, in house. So are you like Anno and everything in there? No, or? no, we, uh, we don't do everything. Um, mm -hmm. there are some specialty operations that we, we can't do. So, um, our five axis components, like our, our head unit on our shock and actually like this is a, a head unit for one of our shocks. That's a really complex five axis uh, part. And so those are made, um, about 30 minutes down the road. So we have, we, we still do have to so, use. So for people that aren't familiar with, with machining, unfortunately, I have a little experience with this. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically because you have a different bunch of different directions that you're coming in with. Just think of a drill bit going into a piece of wood. And like, normally you go like straight down from the bottom or straight from the side. And this, the multiple axes is coming in all kinds of different angles. So yeah. Um, the more accesses you have, the more money you have to spend to get that machine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we do, so our specialty, our specialty really in house is five axis mill turn. Um, and so that's what we really focus on. Um, there's, we basically use three different methods. So we have Swiss machining, um, five axis or three, four and five axis mill turn, and then five axis milling. The five axis milling we don't do in house. The Swiss we don't do in house. We did have Swiss machining for a short period and realized that there's people outside of this building that do it better. <laughs> so yeah. we've really focused on what we're excellent at. And so um, Swiss machining, 
uh, and the five axis are done locally. Um, so we have uh, right on. Swiss is done 30 minutes north of us. Uh, five axis is done 30, 40 minutes south of us. Um, well, that's fortunate that you're able to find somebody that's that's um, geographically close to you as well. Yeah. So you're not having a bunch of time like putting this in a box and shipping it across the country or yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah, we can't do anno in house, um, but we always try. Even with our boxes, like the our box company um, that supplies boxes is just North Denver. We try to use as many local resources as possible. So mm -hmm. um, even with you know, so being able to say that it's it's made in even Colorado is is uh, something we strive for. We can't always do that, like especially with anodized here in Colorado. There aren't there aren't any uh, anybody who manufactures parts will tell you we don't really have any good resource for anodized so we have to send mm -hmm. those parts out of state um, which is a bit of a hassle but again when we're looking at the best coding companies we just don't have that here in Colorado mm -hmm. but we try to stay as local um, sourced as possible on every every part that we buy um, like I said our springs are made in Indiana boxes are done mm -hmm. in Denver you know it's whenever we can keep it as close to home as possible. It, so uh, you guys are still you use that that rock kind of raw metal look for for the eleven six. Do you have any that are like? No, the eleven six is yeah. The eleven six is all black, uh, black anno at this point. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. The raw one. It's funny, you know. We've had some feedback from people wanting us to bring that back. It's kind of a special edition, and uh, we might just do that because I think it would be cool to do kind of the raw. Yeah. The raw. I one. think the I think the raw is coming back in general. I mean, yeah. just, like. Yeah. Companies like TRP doing it with the brakes yeah. and like we were just talking about common saw, like they have that, that frame just looks sick. And um, yeah. I don't know. I, just, I think there's I something saw, Yeah. Before this call, I was just downstairs and um, saw one of our forks in raw. So I saw a uh, raw front fork and uh, yeah, it's pretty yeah. crazy looking. <laughs> like, that, looks, that looks cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's something about it. So no, that's really awesome that you guys, you know, have, that that you're trying to keep everything that way you know like still yeah. sor source <laughs> locally and and as much as you can and i think it's good i think it's good for our economy and it's good for you know i don't know i mean at least me as a consumer i i see value in it so maybe yeah. not everybody but yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah a lot of a lot of our we're fortunate you know a lot of our customers do see that value they know that part of that premium price is is uh they that we have a huge crew of people that take pride in making their product for them. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. So, what's the best way for somebody to get a push fork? That's a to be determined. Oh, I'm sorry, I said fork. I, yeah. I meant to say shock. Oh, sorry, okay. just, like, just yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. So, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. What did I say wrong? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like website call or yeah. like go to a so, dealer of some sort. Yeah, pushindustries.com. Uh, we have uh, online chat Monday through Friday, um, email, phone number. We publish everything on our website. So our email, our phone number is there, um, our online chat's there, all of our social channels, you know, at Push Industries, you can find everywhere. Um, we also have, uh, you can get it at your local bike store. So we have a lot of uh, independent bike shops that we work with. And if you have a particular bike shop that you love that doesn't currently offer our products, they can get still get them. So we uh, we really like bicycle retailers as well. And so, um, yeah, if you have a local bike shop that you want to use, um, if you are a work at a local bike shop, you know, we have um, 
programs for bike shop employees, um, et cetera. So yeah, yeah. pushindustries.com is always the easiest what place, central location. Do you sell anything other than, than the, um, the shock that, that yeah. people should know about? Yeah. We also have our ACS three coil conversion kits. So if you have a Fox 36 or RockShock Lyric Pike, you know, we offer coil conversion kits for those forks. We have our hypercharger um, upgrade for uh, charger 2.0 and 2.1 forks. We have a whole suspension tool line. We have suspension fork seals. Um, so for your Fox or RockShock fork, we sell do-it-yourself kits. So if you need a, if you don't have anything to do a lower leg service on your uh, fork, and you have a Fox fork and you want to have a kit that has the fork seals and the syringe, the fluids, the lubes, we sell turnkey kits for people who. Um, we love the DIY crowd, right? So if mm-hmm. you're, if you're that, and I'm sure a lot of people who are your listeners, watchers are DIY. Yeah. So if you're just looking for turnkey, so. Do you um, guys have like how to kind of stuff on a YouTube channel or something like that? You or? know, we're, we're getting there. <laughs> so, yeah. um, we just really started doing the YouTube thing, uh, recently and are really going to start growing that channel. But yeah, we do have some, you know, like, uh, our video on how to install our ACS three kit also covers how to install fork seal because we do a lower leg as part of that kit so mm-hmm. yeah we we have some of that and we are growing that so our youtube channel um is something that we're putting a lot of effort into right now um because it's as you know it's a great platform for information yeah, yeah 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 i mean it's definitely it's one of those platforms that really is like changed things you know it's real i, w- I was listening mm-hmm. to a, a a rogan podcast while i was riding earlier today and there was a musician that he was talking to and it's just like even in the music world like completely changed the way that an artist can bring yep. music out and like they can they can they have a, a much better way to bargain their worth now yep you know than they did in the past where it was like get a deal or you're screwed yep. you know it's like kind of like hey this is this is i already have a following and mm-hmm. i already have like an income base from that so yeah and it's in the instant information you know again as a company that's a, that's obsessed with customers and getting that information and making things simple, you know, that it's a great platform for us to be able yeah. to start creating that content to just, I mean, I did a, I did a simple thing. Uh, we, on our YouTube channel, we did a quick video on how, um, if you have a Fox or RockShock fork, like how to improve its performance in about 30 seconds. And, um, yeah, it's just a quick little clip and I couldn't believe the response from that. You know, people yeah. are just so stoked to have a, a quick little tip, you know, and it's like, yeah. oh, okay. So yeah, we're going to do a lot more of that stuff. I wanted to ask you earlier. Yeah. I mean, before you started push, you were a mountain biker. How'd you get into riding? Um, so I was, uh, grew up in a small town, as I mentioned, <clears throat> loved riding bikes. It was my main form of, uh, transportation. I got introduced to BMX racing when I was 12 years old and absolutely fell in love with it. And so BMX was my whole life from 12 to whatever, 17 years old, BMX was everything or maybe 16 uh, when I transferred to mountain bikes. But I thought I was going to be a professional BMX racer, you know, at 12 years old. I'm like, yep, this is the what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Right. Uh, and I said that jokingly until I found out people actually do get paid to race BMX. And then I said, OK, I'm really going to do this. Right. Now I'm um, in. <laughs> then, then mountain bikes, uh, came on the scene and I got my first mountain bike and then that transferred into, Oh, I'm going to be a professional mountain bike racer. 
So at 16 or 17 years old, I really believed I was going to be a professional mountain bike racer. And that mm -hmm. was kind of my thing. Um, quickly realized that that wasn't going to work out. <laughs> <really> <laughs> um, and ended up working in a bike shop. And so uh, the short version of the story is a friend of a friend was a product manager at Cannondale Bicycles. And he was leaving Cannondale with their support to start a bike shop in Connecticut. And mm -hmm. um, I was enrolled at uh, UBI, the United Bicycle Institute in Oregon, to be a bike mechanic. And that's uh, was going to be my real job. So I took a job working um, at this bike shop, helped them uh, open the doors and um, worked in bicycle retailer or bicycle retail. That was my first job. And uh, was racing bikes and working in the bike shop. And that was all great. And that prospered into the opportunity at Marzocchi, which... Yeah. Uh, sent me out to California, but yeah, I mean, BMX loved racing it, thought I was gonna be a professional, turned yeah. into mountain bikes, started racing it, thought I was going to be a professional and then, um, just got into the bike industry and have yeah. loved it ever since. Do you think working at that bike shop has like formed you as the person that's running push, like things that uh, you learned back then? Yeah. I mean, I think every aspect, you know, working in bicycle retail, um, gave me a great background on bicycle retail customers, you know, like, yeah, that was a, that was an absolutely great experience working at Marzocchi getting to travel to Europe and go to the, being on the world cup circuit, you know, in those early days. Um, yeah, I think I could take snippets. So, so prior to starting push, I can look at a number of different aspects of my career. Um, as we talked about earlier, you know, my days at Ibach and working in their pilot damper division and, you know, working with shock dynamometers and testing and really getting into the details. So there's just, I can take pieces of all of that. Um, ultimately, I I think that I was set to be in the position I'm in today, which is an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, it all led up to that. And, right on, 20, yeah. and like I said, we're about to sell, celebrate 20 years, which is crazy. Yeah, that's exciting. Although I have very gray hair to, sh to show it. So my hair right. used to be black. Oh. <laughs> I wanted to say this before we wrap this show up. One of the guys in the chat, when we were talking about fork names, yeah, he put up that you could call the fork 4.k for fork. Yeah. <laughs> That's not bad, actually. That's actually pretty good, man. Maybe, you know, it could be what's on the box, right? Now, now that you've said that, though, he'll probably, if we don't give him some kind of royalty, he'll probably come after us. Right. No, it'll be all right. <laughs> I'll take the royalty. I'll give it to him. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's no, awesome. man. Honestly, it's been two hours. Super fun okay. conversation. I had a cool. great time chatting with you. Definitely been a good time. And uh, Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for reaching back out after Sea Otter because yeah. a lot of that stuff, you know, goes by the wayside. So, yeah, I appreciate you reaching out. Yeah, I always try to, like, wait a little bit because I feel like people should be able to decompress. But then sometimes I think because I wait, then people are like, I already forgot about that dude. You know, like, so who knows? Anyways, anybody that's listening, definitely swing by pushindustries.com. Check out their website. Or like, he, like he said, they got the, the YouTube, the Instagram, the Facebook, Twitter, all those things. Yeah. So you can go check them out over there. Um, definitely take a look at the products. If you're not familiar with them, because I know, um, some people, I even saw somebody in the in the chat that was like, I never even heard of this company. So <laughs> cool. check them out. It'll definitely be fun, uh, fun for you to go check it out. And I cannot stress enough, ride a coil. It definitely it's 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 ride a, a push coil. 
Yeah, yeah, ride a bridge coil. It's it's, it's a life changing experience, yeah. at least in a mountain biking life of change. So, any of you guys that are listening on YouTube and haven't hit subscribe yet, please do that or the thumbs up. That would be much appreciated. Thank you to everybody, honestly, out there on Patreon. Means a ton to 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 me that you guys are supporting the channel. And if you want to just leave here with something for free, just remember it only takes a bike to be a biker. Get out and be one.